your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to catch up on previous episodes you've missed or stay alerted for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date, so you'll never miss another episode. On tonight's show, I was going to close out last night's Edmonton Oilers-Winnipeg Jets game with a few more thoughts, especially from the third period, and then I thought I'd give a little bit of an update from scores around the league from yesterday and talk about a couple of issues that I think Winnipeg needs to fix with the lineup, especially going forward, because the upcoming schedule is going to be very brutal, and the Jets need to have all hands on deck in order to weather what appears to be a fairly difficult coming storm. Before we get to the future, though, let's talk about the past and how Winnipeg finished off a very exciting, very crazy game between them and the Oilers last night. If you recall from yesterday, the Jets were up 5-4 heading into the third period, and of course it looked like a uh, a rather unstable situation after the Jets had blown a 4-1 lead. We've seen Winnipeg struggle to defend leads before, so this isn't exactly a shocking result, but it is a little bit frustrating that once again the Jets did in fact, you know, kind of blow a a three-goal lead, especially in the second period. And a lot of the goals against felt pretty self-inflicted. You know, there were defensive lapses, and honestly, the Jets basically stopped playing for the rest of the game. I can understand easing off the gas a bit, especially if you have another matchup against the same opponent in just a few days, but I think what bothers me about this is that the Jets really didn't skate at all, at least in the sense of creating offense out of these opportunities and end-to-end rushes. You know, if you're the Jets and you have a three-goal lead and suddenly that lead starts to vanish, you need to really escalate the urgency and start picking up the pace. It's the same thing that I've said about the Ottawa Senators where, you know, Ottawa may have a lack of talent across the entire lineup, but that doesn't stop them from playing with a sense of desperation at all times. Part of that is for sure because a lot of the guys in Ottawa are basically playing for their rest of their careers and trying to land a spot on an NHL roster and maintain that spot. So it's not super shocking that, you know, for these players, there really is a sense of desperation. But what sort of bugs me about the Jets and and something that I've had issues with, especially when it comes to their slower starts, is you see this Jets team and they don't really have much margin for error. When you think about time and how much time you really have, especially as a contender, it doesn't really last all that long. And the Jets just don't seem to ever play at the level where you think that they are constantly aware of this. You know, I'm sure that they know that they don't have many chances to win a Stanley Cup and that the time for this core is probably running out sooner rather than later. But despite blowing, you know, a 4-1 lead to the Oilers and very nearly leaving the period tied, they still didn't come out into the third period looking particularly urgent. They definitely skated around a bit, but it wasn't like, you know, Winnipeg was getting many chances. And of course, the Oilers had been buzzing for almost a period and a half by now, and and suddenly Edmonton was again very dangerous and creating more chances around the net. And then you get the natural result of Ryan Nugent Hopkins tying the game at 5-5, which is just very frustrating. Winnipeg got caught again, another defensive lapse, another poor, you know, defensive zone possession, just a lot of really sluggish slow play and, and Edmonton taking shots from all of these angles, and Hellebuck never really had a chance to get comfortable in his crease. The entire night, he just seemed very off and was struggling with a lot of the weird angles and volume of shots that he was facing. 
This game very quickly could have escalated into something a lot worse for the Jets had Blake Wheeler not managed to to uh, get the go-ahead goal just a few minutes later, which, don't get me wrong, is super great. It's it's awesome that the Jets ended up winning on his goal, which put the team up 6-5, but I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, I am concerned that the Jets struggle so much, especially against teams where they should have, technically speaking, a roster advantage, especially when it comes to the forward lineup. Now, Edmonton's defensive unit's probably a little bit better, but of course it's very relative, and I don't think that the, the Oilers' D is all that good. And we certainly know that Edmonton's goaltending situation is pretty volatile as well. So, you know, I, I get it. Connor McDavid is great, and he's had a couple of great rushes in this game, and I've seen some impressive efforts from guys like Yesapuya Yarvi and some very impressive shifts from the Kyra line, but as far as that's concerned, it's just very frustrating to see Winnipeg really get outworked and outmuscled the entire night. Edmonton could have been up something like 7, even 8-5, if not more, so I, I'm just very concerned that the Jets, again, kind of came out into this game and didn't really look like a, a team that was capable of competing and skating with the Oilers. The theme of a lot of these wins is that Winnipeg ends up winning on some very fluky stuff, or basically the opponent making a lot of weird mistakes. You look at the Oilers roster and the way that they play, and unfortunately for them, they're very prone to a lot of dumb mistakes. Misplayed passes, bad turnovers, really sloppy defensive coverage, poor goaltending. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why the Oilers struggle. I think their depth is, is especially bad, but in last night's game, they were locked up with the Jets the whole way, if not just flat out dominating them for long stretches. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about the Jets, you know. I've mentioned plenty of times before that I was a bit suspicious about how good Winnipeg's record really was, and watching Winnipeg struggle against teams like Edmonton, against Ottawa, against Toronto in that one game, it just doesn't really instill me with a lot of confidence, especially going forward. I think the Jets have a lot of work to do, and of course I've said this in many episodes, but it doesn't really seem to be changing, and so I, I still wonder what exactly it's going to take for this team to really change course, alter direction, and start pushing towards the right way to play. This team needs some kind of a spark, and it just doesn't always seem to have it, which is strange because I feel like the Jets of all teams would actually feel a lot of pressure to perform. When you look at their playoff success over the past couple of years and, and some of the issues that have plagued this team, they really haven't gotten that far aside from that one Stanley Cup run that they did where they lost in the Western Conference Finals. As incredible as that run was, that's as deep as they've gotten thus far, and I think it's very hard for them to ever ascend back to those heights. At a bare minimum, though, I don't want this team getting smacked around by the Oilers. You have to show up these Northern Division opponents who you really are, and I feel like the Jets just haven't given us a consistent performance and level of play where I can be satisfied every game. Watching both teams score lots of goals is very fun, but certainly it is a troubling sign that the Jets have so many weaknesses, and I don't know that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be the one to fix it. As good as Dubois is, he's only one forward, and he can't really carry all of the offensive load and defensive responsibilities that tend to come with his job of being a center on the Jets team because, let's be honest, he's mostly focused on, on stuff in the offensive zone, less so his own defensive work. I don't think he's going to be the kind of player who dominates possession like uh, Nikolai Ehlers in all zones, you know, I think this is going to be a guy who is mostly looking to create around the opposing net, which means the Jets need to figure out how to fix their defense because that blue line right now is holding everyone back and it's really hamstringing this team. Winnipeg needs to find the fix sooner rather than later because the schedule only gets harder from here. Now, as much as I'm harping on the Jets here for their performance against the Oilers, they weren't the only team last night to blow a huge lead and really struggle on the night. In just a moment, we'll take a look around the league from last night's games and check out some of the crazier scorelines, including one that's just going to absolutely baffle you between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. Before then, though, I thought you should know a little bit about why rockauto.com needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online auto part needs. For most folks, fixing your vehicle up and getting it back up and running after a serious problem is a bit of a pain, especially when it comes to buying auto parts. 
you might not know what you're looking for, and you might not even know what you should be paying for those same parts. If you want to skip the runaround, look no further than rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to search by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and filter by price range so you get the exact parts you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, RockAuto.com's diverse catalog of auto parts will be sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you could save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. Why shop anywhere else when RockAuto.com is sure to have what you need at the best prices available? There's no membership fee, and all you Users pay the exact same prices no matter your experience level or industry. To get started, go to rockauto.com and place your order, and when you do, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We recapped what happened between the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets, finishing off where we left off last night. And now it is time to turn our attention to the rest of the NHL and what occurred in some very crazy games and some very old-fashioned scorelines. Before we go any further, though, I thought you should know a little bit about why you need to be listening to Locked on Bets right now. 2020 is mercifully over, and it's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And now it's time to figure out what exactly happened in last night's games, because we saw a lot of very crazy high-scoring games that's very reminiscent of some old-fashioned hockey. The most insane one on the night actually was not the Jets and the Oilers, it was uh, Ottawa versus Toronto of all games, right? So these teams actually had a very strange outing. Toronto took a 5-1 lead, and it was at least looking pretty secure, and then Toronto sort of let off the gas, which is not super surprising. And then there was like a horror show of a third period where Toronto just seemed to fall apart. They surrendered three goals in a pretty decent amount of time. And all of a sudden, the Sens had managed to tie it 5-5 and took it to overtime before Ottawa, on a great counter off of a fantastic save in front of their own net, ended up scoring thanks to Evgeny Dodonov. The funniest part is Dodonov was the one who actually scored the tying goal just about two minutes remaining in the game, and now he actually wins it in overtime. Dodonov is personally one of my favorite free agent signings of the offseason, though I did think he was going to go to a better team than the Sens. I could imagine a couple of reasons why he might not be considered like a hot prospect by most NHL teams looking for veteran free agents, but as far as skill and scoring rate are concerned, Dodonov is definitely up there and certainly was a big find by the Sens. As far as Toronto is concerned, they have to be extremely frustrated with this result. You know, after taking a 5-1 lead, you'd expect to hold it even if you surrender a couple of goals, but to completely fall apart and just get into really lazy habits to the point where you actually surrender the lead and then lose in overtime is frankly embarrassing, and it's really rough when you consider Toronto doesn't want to be surrendering points to in-division rivals, much less a team that's supposed to be the one that everyone beats and takes both points from. Now, as far as we know, we've seen the Jets actually lose in regulation to the Sen squad, and I think all credit should be given to Ottawa for being persistent and, again, playing with desperation. That said, if you're the Leafs, that just really can't happen, right? So, very frustrating game for them, very unacceptable in a lot of ways, and it's not super surprising. Sometimes, though, you just have to sort of shake your head and laugh at it. Other crazy scorelines on the night include Carolina dusting the Columbus Blue Jackets 7-3, but only in the scoreline. I do think Columbus was able to create a lot of shots on net, and generally speaking, create a lot of havoc around the Carolina net, but the same could be said around Columbus's own net as well. Both teams, especially in the low slot area, weren't great defensively, and Carolina has the kind of shooters to really punish you on mistakes around that area. Jack Roslovic had a couple of really pretty sequences, but I, I think overall what that team really lacks is they've got one or two Roslovics, they've got some guys like Lion A, but they don't have a full squad, and I think that that's going to be an issue going forward. 
The team's roster is just very top-heavy in a lot of respects, and the blue line is a bit of a mess, so I kind of look at Columbus as needing to do some kind of a rebuild, and I don't really know how you do it with having as much talent as you do that's also not anywhere near good enough for this league. It's definitely an older team with a lot of underrated players in some areas, but, you know, in other areas, they don't really have much goal-scoring punch, so not super thrilled with that arrangement, and I imagine that Line and Roslovic are going to be upset to not be on a better team. Other high-score lines include Florida versus Tampa Bay, and the other day, Tampa Bay actually tore Florida a pretty big one, so, you know, it was a big response to see the Panthers then win 6-4, to which is a little bit surprising in some ways, but also, I think Panthers have shown that they're actually a pretty good team this year. Barkov kind of rediscovering his form is a big deal for the squad because he's probably the linchpin of their top six and someone that I think is is very important for their offensive success. But of course, their defense has actually been pretty decent too. Aaron Ekblad is a big get. And if Sergei Bobrovsky is able to stay healthy and actually perform alongside Chris Dreiger, I think that they actually have a pretty decent team. Like the the middle six and like some of the the depth lines are kind of like a little bit sketchy, but on the whole, that team has a lot of talent that seems to be putting two and two together in ways it wasn't previously. So maybe the Panthers are a sneaky, nice team to keep an eye on and one that may surprise in the playoffs if they make it. Trending towards less crazy results, we saw Arizona beat St. Louis 1-0 in what was surely a thrilling barn burner of one whole goal between the two teams. Darcy Kemper, I believe, was the man in the net for Arizona and got another shutout. A fairly hard-fought one from some of the highlights I was seeing, so congratulations to him. And then we move on to New York Islanders versus the Buffalo Sabres, and New York wins 3-1 over the Sabres, which is not super shocking. I think Buffalo has actually played pretty okay hockey, it's just they don't have great finishers, and to be honest, their goaltending and, and blue line is probably not as strong as it could be but you can see considerable signs of growth for this team that you know just a season ago was an absolute trash fire and now it looks more like an NHL team playing you know competitive and acceptable hockey moving on we see Chicago beating Detroit in overtime 3-2 I don't know what happened in this game at all I don't really watch that much of the the Red Wings or anything but from what I've been able to catch they actually play again like the Sabres pretty competent hockey And it sounds like their expected goals for percentage last night was actually in pretty decent positive territory, which is good if you're the the Red Wings. You want to play good hockey even if you lose. You at least want to lose the right way rather than just completely tanking and and putting in sub-50% expected goals performances every night, which is kind of like how Detroit and Winnipeg played last season. Closing out the night, we had Calgary beating Vancouver 4-3 in overtime. I think Vancouver was down at one point in the game and essentially rallied back, but then lost in overtime, which is not super ideal. I think Jay Beagle was starting uh, in the overtime shift, which I don't really understand why Green would do that. The Canucks are just kind of a mess of a team, and I don't really know where they go from here because they have a lot of really talented players in the top couple of lines, but the rest of the supporting cast is really struggling. The Flames are also kind of a weird team. I feel like Calgary doesn't really have many years left of of playoff competitiveness. In fact, their playoff competitiveness right now is questionable even then. But I don't really know how their management sees it and how they plan to work around that. So, bit of a mystery team going forward. And then the final game of the night was San Jose versus Anaheim, and San Jose won 3-2. Uh, A bit of a surprise because San Jose has struggled to win games. They've had a really rough year. I mean, this is sort of a continuing trend with them. I think, you know, San Jose is in a bit of a rebuild mode now, and they've struggled to find consistency with Martin Jones in that, an aging defensive core, and a forward unit that is decently punchy but not great. So I think that they have a long road ahead, and of course they will need to start uh, accumulating picks and prospects here to put that team back in better straights. But hey, beating a rival Ducks team in your own state is pretty nice, and I'm sure it's a big morale boost for a squad that, frankly, needs that little bit of an extra motivation. There were definitely some crazy scorelines from around the league last night, and of course we ended off with some less crazy scores because, you know, every now and then the NHL can actually be normal. 
Personally, though, I'd prefer if the Jets weren't on the receiving end of one of these crazy games, and I have a few ideas for how to help the Jets minimize that, especially lineup-wise, that we'll get to in just a moment. Before then, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to betting online, you really have a hard time finding the best, most reliable places and sites you can entrust your money to. If you're looking for the fastest, easiest, and most reliable online betting service, look no further than BetOnline.ag. Football might be over, but they've got NBA, college basketball, NHL action, and all the European football and international sports bets you could possibly imagine. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to place a bet on the next Stanley Cup winner, or who you think is getting voted off your favorite reality TV show, BetOnline has you covered. They've also got all the news, scores, and odds you could possibly need, so you'll always stay in the know when you want to place your bets. Getting started is super easy. Just go to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device and sign up. And when you register for your free account, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for the 50% welcome bonus. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking a little bit about some of the high-scoring games and how I kind of want Winnipeg to be on the better end of those, maybe conceding a few less goals and hopefully scoring a few extra ones. Trying to figure out the most ideal lineup for this team, though, is a bit complicated, especially when you consider the defense is pretty overstretched and I, I think that there are serious roster flaws that aren't going to be fixed by one or two moves. Let's talk about the first line, though, because right now it's got Shifley and Wheeler together, which I don't really think is the optimal solution. I'd prefer something like Cop, Shifley, and maybe somebody like Perot, maybe. I, I feel like the balance right now isn't great because Wheeler and Shifley together sort of anchor that top line, but they actually cause a lot of issues defensively. So you want to get them apart, but I don't want to put Ehlers right there just yet. If you promote Cop and Perot to that line with Shifley, it might actually work out pretty well because Perot's actually a pretty great scorer and he's got great distribution and vision to feed Shifley. And then you've got Cop, who's a very aggressive four checker and might be able to create space. On the second line, I might look at something like, uh, for the time being at least... Connor, Ehlers, and then maybe converting Wheeler back to center. When he was a second line center uh, a season or so ago, I actually thought that he had pretty decent results because he can be more of a puck distributor and he can get some help from his wings being the central puck carriers and distributors along the flank. So maybe that would allow his lack of speed to be less of an issue. I know he's mentioned that he's personally not a fan of it, but in order to sort of mask some of his deficiencies, that may be a way to get around it, especially without PLD here in the lineup, at least until uh, Dubois is ready to come back. For the third line, I'd probably take a look at Veselainen and then Paul Stastny and Mason Appleton on the right wing. I think that that's a very good combo. I think Stastny is very good at feeding two great wingers, and Veselainen has shown that he can be very physical, and he's not afraid to drive towards the net, which is great. And then you've got Appleton, who's shown he's actually got pretty good finishing instincts. I like where he positions himself to attack the net, especially coming from the right faceoff circle or from near the board area. He likes to close that gap and run towards the net, which is great. I mean, it's a very efficient style. It's very simple. It's very to the point, And I think it actually pays off for him because the strength of his release and the speed that he gets it off with might actually mask some of the lack of extreme technical ability. I think he's a very smart player and he's very gifted. But of course, he's not somebody like Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor, who's just roofing it left and right. He has to kind of work for his goals a bit more. But he's got the shot power and the uh, the offensive zone smarts to make the most of those opportunities anyway, so the lack of like extreme flair doesn't really seem to bother him. 
The fourth line probably makes sense to have Harkins, Lowry, and Lewis until they bring somebody like Gustafson back or something. I think that that's a great fourth line. It'll handle defensive responsibilities well. Lewis likes to crash the net and get physical, and that arrangement makes the most sense without really dinging the talent in the top three lines or so. I think it it's a very good forechecking line. Harkins has struggled a little bit as like a center, so I wouldn't really want to push him too far up the lineup, and I don't want to use him as a fourth line center either. Let him work out at the wing where he seems to be very comfortable and kind of go from there. Defensively, unless we get somebody like Heinola getting caught up or Sandberg getting caught up, I think that the blue line is probably fine for the most part as is. I don't really know that you can make too many changes. You could try like Morrissey, DeMello, and then uh, you and Pullman, but I don't really know if I like that third pairing as much. And DeMello might have to be more of a safety valve for Bolu at the time being because, let's be honest, is really struggling out there. My preference is to bench Bolu for somebody like uh, Heinola who would actually slot in perfectly alongside Dylan DeMello, but that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, I don't know that Morrissey DeMello would be a significant improvement on Morrissey Pullman either. Pullman's actually been okay in his return to the lineup. I thought defensively he's been fine. He hasn't had too many issues trying to handle the puck. And he's not like getting crazily burned or anything like he was earlier uh, last year and stuff. So hopefully that continues. Hopefully he's fine and, and stable in his own end. We know that improvisation and stuff tends to be where he struggles a lot. But for now, it's just going to have to do. I'd love to know your thoughts on the Jets lineup and how you think you might arrange it instead. Be sure to let me know at HLivingLocal and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. And if you come up with a better roster, maybe I'll mention it on our next episode. That will, however, do it for tonight's episode. Before you log off, be sure to tune in to Locked On Fantasy. Get the upper hand in your fantasy league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long, dynasty, and DFS leagues breaking down all the stats and information to keep you ahead of the competition. Subscribe to the Locked on Fantasy Hockey Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!